Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. And this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you and thank you for tuning in. It's a delight to be with you again today. We are in the book of Revelation and we are concluding a certain portion of Revelation chapter 11 with this particular episode. So let's read that section of Revelation chapter 11 as we look at today's topic and discuss it. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. We're talking and concluding today this section about these two witnesses. We've looked at these first several verses of Revelation in quite some detail over the last several episodes and so today we want to wrap up this section by answering the remaining questions that we posed in the last couple of episodes, and that is this. Why two, and what is their actual mission? Why is their ministry important? What are they doing? It all ties together, and we've looked at these. We've looked at what Revelation 11 tells us about their ministry about the length of time and the duration of their ministry, and about who they may be in terms of their identity. We covered that in quite some detail in the last episode. Now moving forward, we want to first of all discuss why are there two? Why must there be two? To find the answer, we need to go to the Torah, because the Torah demanded it. Let's look at those passages now. In Deuteronomy, there are two places that we're going to look at. The first is Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The next place we want to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. The Torah demanded 
that there had to be at least two or three witnesses, credible witnesses that were evidentiary in proving any sin or any iniquity, any charge or capital crime, anything worthy of death had to be established on the mouth of two or three credible witnesses. Any crime, any sin, any iniquity committed had to be established on the mouth of two or three credible witnesses. The Torah demanded a minimum of two witnesses to establish such matters. As a matter of fact, the Lord said here, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Everything is established by the mouth of at least two or three witnesses. Even in the study of God's word and the understanding of God's word, that's one way you stay out of error and getting into false teaching is because you understand that the matter, whatever it may be, is established on the mouth of two or three witnesses. You don't just take one scripture and build a doctrine and run with it. You cannot do that. That leads you to error. So God established this principle. God himself operates by this principle. Let's look at a few examples. He established cherubim at Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. More than one. He sent two angels to Sodom. He established the truth and veracity of God's promise to them for the promised land at the mouth of two spies that were sent by Moses from Kadesh Barnea into the land. Now at that time, Moses sent 12, but the, the matter was established by the good report at the mouth of two, which were Joshua and Caleb at that time. Then, when the torch passed to Joshua at Moses' death, Joshua sends in two spies to spy out Jericho. That's recorded for us in Joshua chapter 2. Then there are two witnesses, according to Jesus, that give testimony of him as Messiah, as the Son of God, as the coming one, the promised one. I'd like to read that to you. It's found in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus is speaking and he says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. He's speaking of the law and the prophets. He speaks about that in several places. The law and the prophets testify of him, meaning the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the whole of it. In another place, he, he speaks of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, the writings, meaning all of the Old Testament, the whole of the Tanakh, speaks of him and testifies of him. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, you find that to prove the sincerity of God's oath, he proved it by two immutable 
things, establishing it on the basis of these two witnesses. There were two witnesses at the transfiguration. There were two witnesses at the empty tomb, at his head and at his feet. You'll find that in the Gospels. There were two at the ascension that spoke to the disciples and said, why do you still keep standing here? The same Jesus, this same Jesus that you have seen just now leave is coming back. Praise be to God. So there was a requirement that there be the mouth of two or three witnesses to establish the veracity of any matter and to convict of any crime, including capital crimes, meaning that someone would be put to death because of the crimes they have done. So this establishes for us why there must be two. God established that principle way back in Deuteronomy. He operated by it throughout the Word of God. And now in the very end, there must be these two witnesses. Now let's look at their mission. And I want to do that by establishing and connecting the requirement for the two witnesses with their pattern and their purpose shown to us in other places of Scripture to help us understand these two witnesses in Revelation. The Old Testament gives us perfect examples. And I want to really hone in on two places specifically. The first one is in the account that's listed in Genesis 18 and 19. Let's go to those chapters and read some of those scriptures. In Genesis 18, I want to begin the reading in verse 1 and read a few scriptures, and then I'll jump down to a few other scriptures in this same chapter. Genesis 18, verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him, meaning to Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Praise be to God. This is when Abraham meets the three men that come. The one is the Lord himself. And we're told that later in Genesis 18. And the other two are angels. We will see that in just a moment. Then let's jump down in that same chapter to verse 16. And it says this, then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because 
the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So the scene is this. Three men have come to Abraham, or three three individuals have come to Abraham. Abraham sees them, invites them to come. He prepares a meal for them. Actually, the Lord blesses him and provides the promise of his own son, Isaac, even though they're very old, etc. And then the men rise to go on their mission. So Abraham rises with them. The Lord says, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. So he explains to Abraham, there's been an outcry of extensive wickedness that has arisen to my ears from the works and the doings of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah to the point that they are committing extensive crimes against me in sin and iniquity, awful sin and iniquity, and they are worthy of capital death. They are worthy of death because these are capital crimes as well. So God tells him, he says, so therefore I'm, I've come down. I'm sending witnesses. I'm sending these to Sodom and Gomorrah to attest to me of the veracity of the outcry that has arisen. Two witnesses went to Sodom for that purpose. They had to attest to the Lord of the veracity of the outcry that had arisen in the Lord's eyes and in his ears. Now, God knew all of this, but he is operating because he is establishing this principle that only by the mouth of two or three witnesses is a matter established. And only by the matter of mouth of two or three witnesses is a capital crime or any other crime established. It has to be on the basis of at least two witnesses. So the Lord is telling Abraham here, this is what I'm doing. Now, later in Deuteronomy, Moses makes clear to us why he did it this way. But here next, we see the men turning away. They go on into Sodom, these two. But Abraham stands before the Lord. Now, we know what comes next. Next was when Abraham pleads with the Lord. You can read it here in continuing the reading in chapter 18 of Genesis. But Abraham pleads with the Lord for mercy for Sodom. And so he goes on down and he pleads with him again and again and again, gets down to 10 people. And he says, would you spare the city if you find 10 in the city? Now, I believe there's a purpose that we need to understand about this. Number one, I believe that God entrusted this knowledge to Abraham because he knew what Abraham would do. Abraham shared God's heart. 
Remember about the two witnesses in Revelation, mourning in sackcloth, they were sharing the heart of God. The heart of God is to save people. The heart of God is to rescue. The heart of God is to save all who will come to him and cry out to him and repent. And so Abraham is calling out for that mercy for this city. And he goes all the way down to 10. I believe he stopped at 10 because I believe he knew that Lot and his family were in there. And I believe he knew that that was at least 10 people. And he expected Lot and all of Lot's family to be righteous in the city and to be able to spare the entire city on their behalf. There is so much that could preach right there in that whole passage about Abraham interceding on behalf of Sodom. And seeing the heart of God also. The heart of God is basically, if I could possibly find 10 righteous in that city, I would spare the whole city. So we go on with the story in Genesis chapter 19. And I want to read a few verses from here. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. So the two angels continue on to Sodom. They go into Sodom and they are there for these purposes. So it says in verse 1, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So Lot encounters these two men first. Lot is in the city gate, which means he has been established as some form of official in the city, some part of the, the legal or the governance of that city. He, remember, he had originally looked toward Sodom, when Abraham gave him the choice of where he wanted to live, he looked over that way. It looked plush and nice and wonderful, so he chose it. Then he pitches his tent later toward Sodom. He gets a little closer. He gets a little closer. And then we find out he is in Sodom. And then back in chapter 14, we see that he was living in Sodom, and Abraham had already rescued him one time. But then he goes back and he's living in Sodom. Well, now we see he's not only living in Sodom, he's a part of the gate, which was the marketplace. He was, he was some form of official or some form of, of recognition there, some form maybe in the governance there. And so he encounters these two. And I don't know if he recognized them as godly men in some way, that, that there was some something that made him notice them specifically and realized that they were not a part of this city and the wickedness of this city, so he was trying to preserve them. Now, you read later in this section about what's happening and how the people of the city are so wicked that they wanted to, in essence, rape these men. They wanted to do awful things with them, commit sodomy, etc., with them, and so the men end up striking the people outside Lot's house with blindness, etc. And so then we go on down in chapter 19, and we pick up the reading with verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, 
Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So here we see another couple of things that these men are doing. First of all, they're rescuing the righteous out of this before the judgment had to come. And then second, they are bringing in the judgment of the Lord. They have been sent with that power, with that ability to execute this judgment and destroy the city. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of the two of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. Hallelujah. The Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. I want to stop there for just a moment, because in the realization of how this story has built up, Lot got himself into Sodom, but in God's great mercy, God was rescuing him out. Oh, that speaks volumes of the mercies of God. Praise be to God. I'll stop right there for this moment or, or else I won't get back to the, to the message for today. But that is a beautiful passage. And the very first place that that word for mercy is used in the scripture is here. Praise God. Verse 17, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. So here we see these two angels now. In wrapping all of this up, the Lord has heard an outcry, and he is proving by the principle that he will establish later in the Torah through the writings of Moses in Deuteronomy. He is now establishing that principle early on, operating by it himself, because he is proving by these two witnesses the veracity of the outcry of the sin that was raised against Sodom and Gomorrah to the Lord. He is also sending them to rescue the righteous and to bring in the impending judgment of God. So we see here a threefold purpose 
for these two witnesses. All right, we see the exact same thing in Joshua chapter 2. And what's beautiful about Joshua chapter 2 is that when the spies go in, they are verifying the atrocities, the wickedness of that city as well, spying it out, and they are going to rescue someone who becomes righteous by faith, even though she and her family are Gentiles. That's a beautiful part of the story of the conquest of Jericho. And then the two will eventually, with the children of Israel, come back and bring the impending judgment from God in Joshua chapter 2. I encourage you to read Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6, where that entire story is seen. But we see the exact same thing. They're sent for a threefold purpose, attest to the veracity of the wickedness that has arisen in the outcry. They have to prove it. They have to verify it. And then the second and third principle they are established for and that they accomplish in their purpose is to rescue the righteous and to bring in the impending judgment. The purpose in Revelation is the exact same for these two witnesses during their first three and a half years of ministry. They will verify the wickedness of the earth and that the earth is worthy and ripe for judgment, that the evildoers on the earth are committing sin, iniquity, and capital crimes before the Lord. They will rescue and be involved in the remnant of the Jewish people, the righteous, who will turn to the Lord. They will be working with the 144,000 evangelists, Messianic Jewish evangelists, that we saw the sealed of the Lord in chapter 7. They are all working together during this first three and a half years. And they are witnessing for the Lord, sharing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. And they are bringing the remnant of the Jews to know Yeshua and even perhaps preparing the way for the flight to the wilderness that Jesus spoke about, which we will talk about in a coming episode. And these two witnesses in Revelation will then usher in some of these judgments from God, and they will pave the way for all of those that God has decreed that have been written in this scroll and in its seals to now come to fruition in its execution. So the two is no accident. God operates by the same principle that he has established. So from all of these scriptures we have read in the last few episodes, including Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, Zechariah chapter 4, Matthew chapter 17, Luke chapter 9, verse 31, is another account of Matthew 17, Joshua chapter 2, and Revelation verses chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. We see these principles. We see the summary that two were required 
for capital crimes in order for someone to be put to death and to verify and give evidence of charges of sin and iniquity. They were to attest and give proof to the wickedness. They were to attest and give proof to the capital crimes and impending judgment and the justice for that impending just judgment. And they were to attest and prove of crimes and sin and iniquity that was also worthy of justice coming in that coming judgment. They were to be evangelists in the sense that they helped to turn the Jews to Jesus, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, to the faith of the fathers, and to rescue some of the Jews, even perhaps preparing the way and establishing the foundation for the flight to the wilderness that Jesus spoke about. They are also perhaps even involved in this whole process of rebuilding the temple. They will operate in a prophetic ministry. We see that in Revelation 11 as well. They will speak from divine inspiration and revelation, foretelling perhaps of the future events, the coming judgment, and the coming kingdom, as well as Messiah. They will prophesy and they will testify of Jesus being the Messiah, prophesied of old, who was to come. They will also bring wrath and plagues and no rain. All of these will fulfill prophecy from the Old and New Testament. It will be right and fulfill the demands of the Torah because there's the mouth of two or three witnesses. It will attest, prove, and exalt God as the just judge in his judicial rulings that all of these judgments are indeed right and true and just. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of our Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.